Hey everybody, here's Victor in present tense, editing the episode. And I just wanted to give you a quick rundown of the episode before we get into it. So you can skip around depending on what content you want to listen to. We'll be at the top of the episode talking about what we will be covering in the upcoming weeks. So everybody should tune in for that. And then if you want to skip the after party recap and go straight to the Kimmy discussion, jump to the 25 minute mark. And that way you can avoid any spoilers for the after party show in case you plan to watch that in the future. Enjoy. everybody welcome to another episode of need some introduction in today's episode we will be discussing the latest episode of the after party called high school and primarily we'll be talking about the new steven soderbergh movie kimmy starring zoe kravitz on hbo max before we get that make sure you subscribe so you know when these episodes become available and i did want to give a little rundown for you too, Sona, <laughs> of what we'll probably be covering in the upcoming week, so you know what to expect. Much appreciated. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is more for you than it is for the general public. <laughs> this week on Apple Plus also, so premieres on Fridays, just like the After Party does, there's a new series called Severance. Have you heard about this? I think I saw an ad maybe before After Party for it. I'm not sure. Yes, they probably have run ads for it. Yep. And uh, this is uh, a new show created by, and most of the episodes directed by Ben Stiller, who's been out of the limelight as a star, but has been working behind the scenes. He's been working in cable producing mostly now, and this is his new project. And it stars Adam Scott as well. Early He's reviews. Of, yeah, very entertaining. And uh, the cast in general, very talented cast. John Turturro, just to name one. And this is a science fiction, like a near present science fiction show. Yeah, you're losing me. <laughs> <laughs> but you might like this part of it. The concept of the show is people are able to sever. This is the severance is able, are able to sever what they do at work versus what they do at home. So they have a true work-life balance, right? Two literally different personalities. And uh, the reviews have started coming in and they, these are rave reviews. And apparently there's one character who has just been severed. So she doesn't know what her life is outside of the world, uh, outside of work. She only has her work life. So she's our entry point to this world. And then we do see these other characters who are, we see them inside and outside of work, but apparently there's a lot of comedy about this kind of, this whole duality we have to live in our day-to-day -day lives. But more importantly is the reviews have said, this starts off as a broad, very funny comedy, but that by the end, it is a edge of your seat terrifying thriller so i think that's very much up our alley so very interested in all of this and uh, we will begin to start discussing it next week and if it's really as compelling as people say it is maybe we will go week to week with it but that remains to be seen but i definitely gonna cover it next week so that's the next uh, immediate thing that we'll be covering cool and also next week will be busy for me i will try to netflix has a direct sequel to the original texas chainsaw massacre movie from the 70s which i'm a big fan of 
And uh, I'm going to try to get a review in there as well for that. And I also just recently caught up on James Gunn's Peacemaker on HBO, and it's wrapping up this week. And I was very entertained by it and have not always been a big James Gunn fan. I was very entertained by it. So this week will be pretty busy for me anyway. <laughs> I'm going to try to get those reviews in there as well. For the 25th, Sona, a thriller from Hulu called No Exit. And this is debuting directly on Hulu. It also comes from a pretty talented Australian filmmaker, but the premise is that a woman stops at a truck stop and there's a certain number of people there at the truck stop and they get snowbound within the truck stop. And she goes out to the parking lot at one point and finds a girl bound and trapped inside of like a van in the parking lot. So now they're all trapped there together and she has to try to rescue this girl and figure out who inside the truck stop is the you know, person who's kidnapped this woman. So that is like a closed quarters thriller, which I think should be fun. Sounds right up my alley. <laughs> yeah, I think that one will be good for you. That's going to be, yep. you're not going to be looking at your phone very much. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And then the following week, we have a movie called Fresh, which is just played at Sundance Film Festival. Another thriller starring our friend who plays Tommy Lee, Sebastian Stan, the uh, Winter okay. Soldier. And uh, it is a rom-com slash thriller. And uh, it has a lot of twists in it that people say they don't want to give away. So I don't know anything beyond that. But it's premiering on Hulu. I believe it's going straight to Hulu on the 4th. And like I said, just played a few weeks ago at Sundance and got lots of really good reviews. So that's one to watch. And uh, that same week, I'll also be watching the new Batman movie. And I'll drop a review there. Also with Zoe Kravitz, speaking of just tying these things together. And then the following week, I'm not going to go into all the other things. We'll keep previewing going forward. But the following week, the Pam and Tommy documentary wraps up on the 11th. And I figure we should probably just catch up at that point and do a, a full season breakdown. And I did see, did you see episode four? I haven't seen it yet because you know, I was so busy watching the things we're going to discuss today. But you know, I feel like my Hulu money is really going to pay off in these coming weeks. So I'm pretty excited about that. Yeah, Hulu's making a big <laughs> investment. A lot of the things that I have on the list here that I've been just scouring the release dates. And looking for things to watch a lot of it is Hulu. <laughs> so yeah, good. There you go. It's worth the, it's worth the yeah. investment. And I, uh, I know you had mentioned that you thought episode four was pretty good. So I am definitely going to watch it. Yeah. I didn't want to go into a full breakdown. I was just curious to know if you were following week to week. No, about week to week, but I am going to watch the rest of it. Sure. And I would just say for the audience in general, even if you're waiting, because our initial conversation about this, I was like, I don't know what they're doing here. I'm not sure if it's going to land. I thought the fourth episode was excellent, so it really encourages me more to delve further into it. But we will not be going week to week on that one, but definitely I think it'll probably be worthwhile. Even if they fail at the end, I think it'll still be interesting to have that conversation at the end. Yeah, I could see that. And then for this is the further we get out, the, the harder it is to plan things out. So I do want to just mention that at the end of March, I will be covering Moon Knight, the new Disney Plus Marvel series, which Sona's not going to watch, I'm pretty sure. Nope. <laughs> However, I would say you may want to jump into this one only because it stars Oscar Isaac and Ethan uh, Hawke. Of Oscar Isaac. And Ethan Hawke. He's one of your boys too. Generally not. My fondness for the before sunset, sunrise, midnight movies is unparalleled. Like those are probably my favorite movies ever. So he will all, I will always have a soft spot for him because of that. The fact that I think he probably really treated Uma Thurman poorly. So. <laughs> <laughs> they're still friendly so i mean but they have kids so i guess they have to be yeah 
but I will definitely be watching that and maybe get, try to convince Sona to watch it. Although we, I have a co-host for that, so she won't be co-hosting it, but maybe just something that as we continue our own conversations, I'll delve into it and spoil it for her, see if she gets drawn in. But Ethan Hawke is in that too. And also interesting, first of all, it's not tied into this whole Marvel universe. It is a very obscure Marvel character. Okay, let's start with the after party because I think this is going to be a pretty quick recap. What was your opinion of this episode? I really liked it. I think this might have been my favorite episode so far, actually. I thought it was the least funny of the episodes. Not that there's not humor in it, but I feel like the humor in it wasn't the big laugh lines like we've right. had in some of the other episodes. It really is very much about remembering being at a high school party. All the little details that they got very right. So exactly. I that it was very realistic depiction of that type of setting. And I did like the way they brought the whole Walt thing to the forefront. Yes. Who is this guy? Has he really been around the whole time? Why doesn't everyone remember him? And right. I thought that was interwoven very nicely into the whole story. Yeah. And I thought it was a very successful episode. I did preview this on when we texted earlier that I felt that the episode was very sad <laughs> to me. And I think you th thought I was taking it as a, a negative. I actually meant that I think the show did a good job of showing these dynamics from when they were younger. I just felt it was sad because it makes you maybe realize, and once again, maybe speaking to some of the themes that are actually pretty strong in this show, although I don't think this show's a, a grand slam. I think it's, but it's a double or a triple. I think it's doing fine. And, uh, and to that point, I think that one of the themes that I think is interesting here is you really see how this night has affected these people's lives, even now, 15 years later. And I thought that was pretty, if you really think about that, those consequences, it was a little sad that it, this night of activity limited their uh, life choices, right? So it's kind of a little. This is true in life, right? It yeah. could be positive or it could be negative, but so many times a split second decision can shape the outcome of your life. And so often it's those things that seem like just part of a regular day and don't seem to have that kind of meaning attached to them at the time you make the decision, but the consequences from it end up being life-changing. And I'll yeah. always um, use as an example, my own personal life, which is, as you may or may not know, the way my husband and I met is because we sat next to each other in a class with assigned seating. And the we had gone to the first day of class, the second, and the professor said at the end of the class, next time you come in, we're going to fill out a seating chart. So wherever you sit next time, that's where you're going to sit for the rest of the semester. And I came in and I had my idea of like, I wanted an aisle seat. It was like an auditorium type of setting. I wanted to be not right in the front, but not in the back either. And I scoped out a certain row and both the, both sides, the aisle seat, had already been taken by two different guys. And I had somehow in my head already committed to that row. And I looked at both those guys and I looked at where my husband was sitting and I said, I think I'd rather sit next to this guy than the other guy. And, and, <laughs> and that's how we met because of that split second decision of this is it, I'm committed. This is where I'm going to sit for the rest of the semester. And the rest was written. And that one decision could have changed the whole course of your life. Exactly. And like literally a split second decision. Had I gone to class a few minutes early, a few minutes later, that seat could have already been taken or yep. I might have, everything could have been different. So not to make this about me, even though I do like to make everything about me, 
<laughs> my point just being, it, it rang very true to me how these things that you just seem part of a humdrum kind of typical type of day, typical type of party, uh, end up having these long lasting consequences. Yeah, I, I totally agree with all of that. And I think, and to your point of saying not to make it about you, first of all, I think that's, that's the value in us having these conversations, hopefully. So we should try to personalize it, I think. So that, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And second of all, I think speaking to the good parts of this show, maybe the show, if anything, is trying to be too ambitious, believe it or not, even this slight half hour comedy, in the fact that they are trying to tackle some very heady things. We've already seen multiple times now that everyone thinks someone's out to get me. I'm the hero of this show, of yes. this uh, uh, storyline. And then only to find out when the next person tells their version of reality that they were completely wrong about their per perception. Yes. And then to your point as well, that night has all these little different storylines going on. And even things that at the time in this present moment, there's these things that everyone thinks are consequential that may have not been consequential and vice versa. Now we're looking back 15 years earlier at things that they don't look back on as wrong decisions or anything. They look at back at them as just something that happened. But now we can see with 15 years of time that all their current life is all predicated on things that occurred at that moment. So it's really interesting if you think about it that way. It's a very Buddhist <laughs> view of history, but I think it's interesting that if you choose to explore it, I think there are some pretty interesting ideas here. And very well constructed from a yeah. story perspective, right? To make all of those different elements converge yep. for all of these characters in a way that has had long lasting consequences all on that single night. I think it's an impressive bit of storytelling too, to yeah. develop all of those plot lines at the same time. Yeah, and I think to their credit, I think this is what Christopher Miller in general, when you think about all the projects they've done, whether it is 21 Jump Street or whether it is the Lego movie or whether it is the most recent Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, the animated movie. When you think about those films, that kind of is their uh, formula is that they've been able to, to do this repeatedly where these things that are like scattered details come together perfectly at the end. So once again, maybe I'm setting my expectations too high for this comedy, but they, it is what they've done in the past. And also, like you mentioned, not only with those little details of the story that are all interlocking, like there's nothing in the story that's wasted. It actually is going to pay off later on. But even from the joke standpoint, right? Like you think about the koala joke, it's something that's planted in the first episode that pays off later on. It's almost like you, it forces you to go back and revisit the earlier yeah. part just to get the joke. I do want to break this episode down a little bit because now I think we have just from a traditional mystery standpoint, we have really like suspects, motives, and, and also just like the, the plot of that night, right? Because this night is basically the root of everything that, that, that's happening in this show. So first of all, we find out that Anik had made a mix CD to finally give to Chloe to prove his love to her, or, you know, at least his interest in her. And that CD never gets delivered. And we'll find out about that more later. We also find out that this is also the moment at which, interestingly, here's another way where we see a pivot in the show, that Xavier was dumped by... Jasper. Jasper, right. So Jasper was the one who um, dumped him. Perfect example of how the show is doing this. We have seen Jasper's the victim of that Xavier's blowing him off and won't even bless his track or whatever. He's just looking for something to help mm -hmm. boost his profile. Mm -hmm. 
up until this point, we really see Xavier as the bad guy. And now we find out that Jasper was one who dumped him. But maybe that is the thing. Him being dumped by Jasper is the thing that let him rise to his success. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What else do we see here? We see that Walt, of course, was invisible even back then, which I find very sad, by the way. The whole Walt thing has been a, f- a running gag up until now that I didn't really find sad <laughs> until now. I really mm-hmm. find, I did find it very sad that this guy who... You know, uh, even back in high school, I knew people like this back in high school, right? These hangers on that desperately wanted any kind of attention from people. And even when you were hanging out with them, it was like a chore. <laughs> uh, and this, in this case, it's even more than that. This guy's like truly invisible <laughs> to everybody. Of course, big thing is we find out that the whole situation where it seemed to be that there was something going on with Chelsea and a sexual assault. Yes. And what it turned out was that actually there wasn't a sexual assault. However, her reputation was she was a slut or whatever because she had sex with two guys, uh, Walt, which they did not even know who he was, <laughs> <laughs> who just happened to be naked because he was trying, he's planning to streak so they would be remembered. For attention, yes. And, uh, and of course, uh, Xavier, who claimed to have had sex with her even when he did not. Right. And this, of course, has affected her trajectory in her life as well. And of course, most importantly, is that Anique, he got pantsed. Yes. Yeah. And I didn't really understand why, but yeah, he did get pantsed. (laughs) Yeah. That's why I stopped there when I was recapping this, because there is a reason why. Xavier says to him, it's all your fault. Maybe he thinks Anique suggested to Jasper that they break up. I don't know. I feel like there was something I missed there. Not that it, it may have been in the show and I just missed it. It definitely was in the show. There was a reason. And I think that's exactly what it was. There was something about Anik and Jasper, who of course were tight even back then. And we see at the beginning of the episode that Anik has basically confirmed that Jasper should break up with him. And, uh, and I think maybe Jasper, when he broke up, said that even Anik said, and then Xavier's like, how could you? I thought you were my friend. I see and then he pantsed him and pushed him into the pool. And then Anik loses his cool, of course. And not only because of this, but of course, he also has been frustrated with delivering the CD to Chloe. And all of that culminates with him like blowing his top and smashing up his, uh, his Miata. And of course, the cops show up and he ends up getting arrested, which ends up getting him, I guess he ends up going to a different school, which we, I don't think we know which school he ends up going to, but not his first choice. And now you think about somebody who was like supposedly the smartest kid in the school has been a uh, escape room designer. And even when I heard that earlier on, I'm like, wow, he must really love escape rooms. Like, why would this be the job he ends up in? Maybe this is the best he could do, right? I really love escape rooms, but yeah. (laughs) I do too. I just don't think it's much of a career path. Maybe a hobby, sure. But (laughs) yeah. One last thing I I should bring up is we also find out that Brett and Chloe, to your point of what you were saying earlier, ended up by some happenstance. It's not just the CD. It's also that they find out that they were going to be going to school right next to each other. So I'm sure they were friends. They started hanging out together and one thing led to another. But of course, Brett is basically taking credit for, for Anique's mix tape, which has that Shaggy song on it, of course, that opened the whole show. Comes full circle on the angel. All, exactly. And uh, we will find out Chloe's version of events next week. She's the next episode. And she's led us to believe that she did also have some sort of motive to right. push Xavier off the terrace bit. Yeah. She's like, hey, how about me? To that point, the uh, motives, yeah, for everybody, I think we've really seen that we've seen Anik, obviously, it was 
is still the prime suspect to the cops. Although I think it's pretty clear that he did not do it considering we've seen him basically seeing himself in the mirror, <laughs> discovering the writing on his face at the moment where Xavier fell off the balcony. So we know that he didn't do it, but he still remains to be a prime suspect. So we have a Nick's motive. We have Brett thinks that Xavier was trying to hook up with Chloe, right? Right. Chloe has a motive, which we don't know yet. Chelsea blames Xavier for lying about their sexual encounter. The night of the party. Walt might just be, I could just see Walt theoretically just being frustrated by all of the being ignored all this time that he could be, this is one way to, to take the story by the horns in a way. It's true. And who else do we have that did, are, are there any other motives that I, I miss, missed in that group? Let's see. Jasper doesn't really have a motive, right? Oh, Jasper could potentially. I thought originally Jasper could theoretically have that he didn't show up to bless his track. Jealousy. But, kind of yeah. But that given what we know about the history, maybe that doesn't pan out here. And Jennifer does not have a motive. Either of the Jennifers? Either of the Jennifers. Missing Jennifer or present Jennifer. Correct. <laughs> I don't think they have motives. And I thought that was a cute little subplot that we figured out how Jennifer ended up with Chelsea's ex there. Yeah, exactly. And, oh, and Ned could potentially, he had broken up with Chelsea. So potentially he's kills him for her honor. I don't know if they really haven't set him up. We haven't explored him much, so I don't know if yeah. he's going to be. And we also have a, just other random characters that are floating around the background. We have Indigo, that strange redheaded uh, character. Very... We, we know nothing about her, but we do know that everybody's wary of her for some reasons, but she's just yeah. in the periphery. So everybody seems to, or almost everybody has a motive at this point, and we will soon find out who the culprit is. The upcoming episodes, we have Chloe is next week's episode. The week after that, the episode itself is called Dannert. So I guess we will see things from the police officer's point of view. And then the final episode, I should say, is called Who Dannert, <laughs> which I guess is like a pun <laughs> on who done it. Right. And uh, I guess that will be the reveal. It's very much, I assume, like the movie Clue or something where we'll, I wouldn't be surprised at all if we see uh, Dannert going, was it blah, 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 and have all these different legitimate scenarios. And then, of course, reveal the final truth. So we will see how it all lands. I am still entertained. I thought, like you said, this episode was one of the strongest episodes. It was funny in a, the kind of like smiling funny, not in a hilarious laugh out loud funny, a way that I enjoyed. And I also think that they, it had pretty rich subtext here of the kind of the consequences of the choices you make when you're very young. Yes. I think also you probably wanted to mention, and I think you were about to mention that we figured out the story with the torn up note in the trash. Exactly. That's the thing I wanted to bring up. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there was one more thing. Right. The note was one. Absolutely. We find out that the note was written by Xavier. It was lyrics to a, a song. And we also know that now, of course, he was the one who wrote, I have diarrhea <laughs> on yes. the back of his head. Yeah. And another thing, by the way, is we found out, did you notice, we found out who drew the, the triangular uh, arrows over his eyebrows. Did you notice? Was it Ned? I don't remember. It's Chloe. Was it Chloe? Really? Yeah. Chloe in the high school sequence in the background. Remember when they yeah. were doing the experiment with the balloons and the. Yes. That she is, had. Yeah. She painted her balloon like a porcupine and it has all those little triangles all over it. So he has his porcupine face thanks to Chloe. I did not pick up on that. Thank you for reminding me. <laughs> so now we know. 
that's because he, he originally thought that the I'm sorry on his hand was written by her, but that wasn't true. So now that we was know. true. That we saw. Correct. Correct. So little by little, we're finding out what everything that was drawn in space was drawn by. Yeah. <laughs> Ned drew the mustache. <laughs> Xavier drew, I have diarrhea. So I'm looking forward to seeing how this all lands. And we will be watching this next week as well as Severance. And we'll see how that goes. And we'll see if we keep going week to week with Severance or not. That all depends. What do you want from me? Kimmy? I'm here. Why don't you run from me? Call Darius. Hey, hotness. Wow. What are you wondering? What do you know? Kimmy? I'm here. Reopen last stream on desktop. I need more kitchen paper. Open yesterday's stream. stream interpreter i may have heard a crime on one of the streams okay let's get into kimmy so kimmy is new on hbo max this is just like to set some context again a steven soderbergh directing now steven soderbergh's movies used to be a really big deal as a matter of fact sona i think you saw one of his very first movie i should say sex lies and videotape didn't you watch that I saw that in the theater. Yes. Yeah. I think we discussed it way, very long time ago when that 40 years ago, maybe <laughs> 30 years. Uh, ago. Let's not get carried away. Not so. <laughs> but, 30, 30 years. But it is a, an, an amount of time you measure in decades. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, he quickly started off as like an indie filmmaker and really rose to huge prominence. His films used to be really big deal. You have the oceans movies, obviously you have traffic, Aaron Brockovich. And later on, he had Magic Mike. All these films are blockbusters, they're huge successes. And then he retired. He's like, I'm retired. I've made too many movies, I'm retiring. And since he's retired, he's churned out like one or two movies per year. <laughs> so I'm not sure how this retirement's working out for him. <laughs> but he seems to be much less precious about these films. They you know, basically go straight to streaming most of the time. But I have found most of them uh, interesting. And something that I find especially interesting in these most recent films is that he is shooting them quickly. Oftentimes he like shoots them on iPhone, like a uh, high flying bird, which is still available on Netflix, which I highly recommend is shot on an iPhone. And uh, although it looks pretty great for shot on an iPhone. So he's experimenting with the way these films are made. He's tries to shoot things in one location. He's always trying to do these little experiments with what he's putting together, but he also makes it a point to include some kind of social consciousness or social criticism into his films. So you see it even with his blockbusters, not so much in the ocean movies, but like Traffic and Aaron Brockovich, obviously. And then you see it in, oh, and, and Outbreak, uh, not Outbreak, but Contagion. <laughs> in like Contagion, another film that he made that was like a big blockbuster type movie. You said Outbreak because it was like, wait, haven't I already seen this movie? It's called Outbreak. <laughs> <Right. So. laughs> And uh, when you see like High Flying Bird, she, he's talking about players' rights um, and the commodification of people's bodies, which is also what Magic Mike is about, actually. It's about post-recession movie. And with the movie No False Moves that we saw last year, which I know I was probably a bigger fan of than you were, Sona, but in that film, they're talking about gentrification. They're also talking about like the suppression of a catalytic converter by all the car manufacturers, which is legitimately true, historical fact. So he's introducing these topics and exploring them within the context of entertainment. And the last thing I want to draw 
lines to with no false moves is that I think we agree, you, me both, that the best part, the strongest part of no false moves is that thriller aspect in the first half of the movie. And I mm -hmm. think he is able to really pull off a thriller when he puts his mind to it. With all that out of the way, I also want to mention that it's also written by David Kep, who did Stir of Echoes, wrote and directed Stir of Echoes. I know it's uh, from my I love that movie. Yeah. So just another call out there to something we've talked about in the past. But he also has written very big blockbusters. For example, one of the biggest blockbusters of all times. He wrote the first Jurassic Park movie. And uh, very in line with this film, he wrote Panic Room for David um, mm -hmm. David Fincher. <laughs> There's like a lot of parallels there. Mm -hmm. And this film is a call out to a bunch of paranoid thrillers from the past. And all these films I'm going to call out to you are better films than this one, by the way. Although this is a good movie. I do like it. But I would say, first of all, Rear Window, of course. Mm -hmm. huge. It's a Rear Window. If you haven't seen it, first of all, yes, yeah, from 1954. But everybody watch Rear Window. It does not feel old at all. Jimmy Stewart is trapped in his apartment because he broke his leg. In this case, she has agoraphobia. So she's trapped in her apartment. He basically looks out his window. And it's also about the alienation of urban life. If you watch Rear Window, which is a great movie, more of the story, more, more of the suspense is like, for example, whether Miss Lonely Hearts, this girl who's hooking up with guys on, in the newspaper, is going to find love or maybe commit suicide. And there's this whole, the little melodramas that are going on in these other little apartments is way more fascinating even than this murder mystery that's trying to unravel. So it's a truly great movie and definitely being called out here, especially when you see these giant windows and everybody watching each other as they live their lives in this urban environment. Um, also a big call out to The Conversation from 1974, Francis Ford Coppola. And in that case, Gene Hackman is a spy who captures a piece of audio and believes he's heard a murder in the audio. And he's always stripping sound away from this audio to see if he can hear the conversation and get more details. And once again, of course, very much in parallel with the film we're about to describe here. And the last one I want to call out is Brian De Palma's Blowout with John Travolta from 1981. Great film, very underseen, I think. Has a really great John Travolta performance. One of the really memorable endings in that film for sure. And a great film, Blowout. And I think it's available on Amazon Prime, so pretty easy to watch. So with all that context out of the way, what did you think of it? I think entertaining is the perfect word for it. <laughs> uh, it definitely holds your interest. I think it, it asks a lot of questions. I don't think it delves all that deeply into really analyzing those questions, but it still is interesting to think about them, especially as someone who lives in a home that is essentially the home of the future, because my husband is such a gadget geek that <laughs> I, I don't think I could count the number of Google and I can't say the word, otherwise I'll trigger her, A-L-E-X-A <laughs> devices in this small New York City apartment. So I can very much relate to the context of this. Our whole home is, is powered by this. The lights are on it. The air conditioner is on it. The television is on it between like the Wemo switches and the, the smart television. And, and it, it does increase our convenience by a thousand times. But what are you trading off in exchange for that? What privacy are you giving up? I thought it was really interesting what her job is. And I wonder if that really exists. Um, someone who is trying to help the AI learn the things that it gets wrong. Because I know 
we often are in the position of literally losing your temper with the device because <laughs> yeah. we're enunciating as clearly as you possibly could be, yet the device will not understand what you're trying to say. And then, yeah, the privacy you trade off. I know there are supposed to be these policies in place regarding when they are triggered and when they are listening, but convinced that they're listening all the time on some level. And we have decided that we're okay with that for what we trade off, that what, what we get in convenience is worth giving up that degree of privacy of what our lives are. It's very easy for us to agree to. Our lives are very boring. Right. <laughs> so what if you hear us talking about what we should have for dinner every single night of our lives? Go for it. <laughs> so I think a lot of interesting questions asked here and in a much uh, more high stakes way, it comes back, right? The convenience you give up versus the convenience you give back in that the same thing that's caused all these problems for her kind of also solves problems for her. Yep. What did you think? Yeah, I enjoyed it as well. And I think we should get into spoilers in a little bit, but I just to let the audience know, I'm going to give you my spoiler-free reaction now, and then we will get into spoilers. I agree with everything you said. I think once again, pretty cursory. And if I have any criticism for Soderbergh's recent output of films, I do like that he delves into all of these topics, but he never, I don't think he really ever delves into them very deeply, but I still appreciate the fact that he's trying to put them in there. But I do think that he, in this case, does raise some very interesting questions here. And one of the things I really liked, which is not directly related to the technology, it's this moment in time he's capturing of COVID. I really feel like this movie, years from now, will be watched as this time capsule of COVID films. First of all, a lot of stuff that's come out recently, like Ozark, Succession, et cetera, have just basically pretended COVID never happened. And then you have these other films that were like shot during COVID that really bang you over the head with COVID. And this I thought was a little more subtle because it was just the whole, you have to wear a mask, the people are meeting outside, they don't have sex face to face. Remember when the CDC told people to not have sex face to face? <laughs> <laughs> so it's like all these little details. I was like, oh yeah, and she's like constantly scrubbing and sanitizing herself, which might just be part of her OCD or her agoraphobia. Problem there that I think COVID exacerbated. Yes. Mm -hmm. But I think you are making a really good point. I think it is the first time I've seen a really more or less realistic depiction of yeah. what life is for us right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I actually thought that was one of the things that it got very right is it didn't right. feel like it was trying too hard to do the whole mm -hmm. COVID thing. It really just felt like, yep, this is literally how we lived our lives for many months. I still am living my life that way. <laughs> I've moved, I've moved on somewhat anyway. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you got it anyway. So what can you do? But you also live in a, a very congested city. Yes. It, I think once again, very subtly brings up the fact that she probably, she has agoraphobia. She may have some element of OCD and she even talks about it briefly. Once again, not something they nail over the head, but it's in passing in conversation with a therapist that if you have these conditions, if you have social anxiety, et cetera, and now all of a sudden people tell you not to leave your house, that's kind of hard <laughs> to get over your social anxiety when you're not allowed to leave your house for a long period of time. But another thing I thought is interesting is the technological aspect of this is showing how, for example, and I think this is very true to urban living, because I know people that one of the great things for you, you can speak to this, I'm sure, about living in the city is that theoretically you could jump on a train and go to the museum anytime you want to. And of course you do that when you have 
an opportunity to. But the reality is most people I know who live in Manhattan, for example, live their lives within like a four block radius. And that she has, for example, she's dating the guy across the way. She's eating at the taco truck out front. She works from her apartment and COVID has only exacerbated all of these things, right? So it's like this, uh, the reality that urban life, like going all the way back to the 1950s, when you watch Rear Window touching on all these same topics. So seven years ago, things were not that different that uh, there is this micro cosm of society in a very compact area because you live in a urban area and technology has only facilitated all those things. I definitely think for me personally, let's make it about me again. Listen, I have a love affair with this city. I absolutely adore it. And I think it is New York City. I can't talk about other cities. I haven't spent any significant amount of time in another city, but New York City, it, it is so easy to get around to different parts of the city. And pre-COVID, I felt like I lived a very robust city life of being in different parts of the city. And COVID really changed that, especially with um, remote work on top of it, because my commute each day used to be a mile walk each And even coincidentally, this morning, we had to run an errand on the Upper West Side and we drove over there and this morning it's snowing. We drove through Central Park. It was absolutely breathtakingly gorgeous. All of the trees coated in snow. Um, the like peacefulness that you get in the city when it's first snowing. And I literally said to my husband, I have forgotten how much I love this city because I have just been walking the same route to school drop off and back. 90% of the time of 90% of my days. So yeah, I think even if it wasn't necessarily the case pre-COVID, it certainly is now. And it's a sacrifice. It's a loss. Yeah. Yeah. I think we all deal with that. And I'm not going to do my COVID update like I've been doing the past few weeks, but I'm hoping that things keep trending in a very positive direction. Yeah. But, and I think that this film does a good job of capturing that. I've only been to Seattle a couple of times for work, by the way. I, although I did spend a couple of weeks there for one of my uh, jobs. So I did really enjoy the whole Seattle thing. Uh, although the film did for me, once again, as a very casual Seattle visitor, didn't really feel that much like Seattle to me. It could have been any city, to be honest. But maybe that was the point as well, because I guess when you live in an urban area and you have this, she's inside of a bubble, not only because of her technology that she uses, but because she is literally afraid of making contact with anybody else that maybe that is how it is a generic city at that point. Maybe that's intentional. Interesting. Yeah. I haven't been to Seattle, so I had nothing to compare it to, but I did. First of all, I always like to talk about the real estate. So I <laughs> yes, great. Her, that apartment was amazing. And until they explicitly told us it was Seattle, I was speculating in my head all the places it could possibly be because it just was so gorgeous. And I definitely liked the thing of looking out the window and everybody looking at each other because we have that situation in my building where it's a U-shaped building and our apartment looks out, you know, onto the other half of the building. And we have this running commentary of, God, the people across the way, why are they always washing dishes? Why do they have so many dishes to do? And it's not that I'm even trying to assertively see in there and see what they're doing. It's that 
if I sit on a certain point, uh, a certain part of my couch, my eye line is directly out the window into their kitchen window. <laughs> and as someone who spends way less time in the kitchen than the average person does, <laughs> these people seem to spend way more time in the kitchen than the average person. Right. Like this is what passed for entertainment during lockdown. We, I think we, as uh, you know, social creatures are always watching each other. So it's inevitable. You have to, especially when you can watch someone from that stuff, why there's so many movies about it, watching people through yeah. these windows and you're just facing each other. And on the other hand, you can close your blinds if you wanted to, inevitably, <laughs> you know that you're being watched is basically what it comes down to. Yes. And I thought it was a nice setup of the one guy that ends up being her savior in a way is watching her while she yes. is watching the guy that she's interested in. And it's like this whole, everybody's orbiting around each other in that way. And that's very rare window as well. Okay. So we're going to go into, I want to talk about some specific plot details. So I am going to make the spoiler warning. Now, everybody, uh, check it out, watch the film. I enjoyed it. And I think it deals with some interesting topics. It'll make you think about some things. And it has some fun thrills, especially towards the end, which we're going to discuss right now. So check it out and subscribe to us and tell us your friends about us and et cetera and so forth. <laughs> but yeah. let's get into spoilers now. And uh, now that we lost all the virgins from the conversation. So I thought that the whole ramp up at the end was interesting. I like how they're, first of all, showing her how she has to get over her agoraphobia to just be able to leave the house. And that creates its own tension in a way. And then of course she's in the street and her phone is being tracked. And, and there's a great scene, by the way, where she's like, it's pulled into that van. And then those protesters <laughs> think that this is part of a Seattle protest from last, I guess it was shot last year or whatever that was. And uh, they pull her out of the van like they were, because during the Seattle protests, there were literally people being pulled off the streets. It was insane. And they were being held. These protesters probably think that this is part of this military or whatever this was, these dark ops that were, you know, arresting these protesters in the middle of the night. So they probably think that they don't realize that this woman's basically off to be murdered. She thinks she's being arrested by some nefarious yeah. police force, but they rescue her anyway. So I thought that whole sequence was interesting. And another way they're bringing in current events into this existing storyline. Yes, absolutely agree with all of that. To back up a little bit, first of all, I did not get that she was agoraphobic at first. So I was like, Yes, I too have to make sure I have my antibacterial <laughs> and, and all of that before I leave the house. So I get it. Yes, it is. Don't forget your mask. I, I understand where she's coming from a female perspective. That purse seemed bottomless, the amount of stuff she was That's putting. Perfect. I don't know how she fit it all, but more credit to her because it was a cute bag. And it was only after that scene went on for a little while that I, I was able to understand, oh, she literally cannot make herself leave. We... We all feel like we've forgotten how to get out the door. The days that I have to go to the office are very stressful for me because I don't remember how to do it. Do you remember, <laughs> right. I make sure I have everything in my bag that I'm supposed to have and all of that to be gone for the day. I, I don't remember how to do it anymore, which is insane because it's something that I did by rote. Could have done it in my sleep a few years ago. And now I just don't even know how. I don't know which shoes are going to be comfortable all day. <laughs> like just the amount of thinking that goes into getting out the door is insane. But I thought it, it was nicely done how they developed that idea of how she's having a hard time getting out, out of the house. I thought it was also very interesting to see the relationship between her and her mom. Robin Givens. Lot. Haven't seen her in a while. Sorry? Robin Givens. Haven't seen her in a while. 
Oh my gosh, I didn't realize that was Robin Givens. Wow. Yeah, I think it was the, the relationship many of us have with our moms where you call <laughs> for comfort and you end up feeling worse, right? Right. <laughs> you think, oh, why did I even start this? So, <laughs> I'm sorry I brought it up. So, so I thought that was a nicely done as well. And then, yes, I agree. The time that she realizes she really has got to get out of the house, I felt actually proud for her that she was yeah. able mm -hmm. to to get herself out because I really thought there was a decent chance she was not going to be able to force herself out the door. So I was very impressed. She actually made it out. Something about the way that it was shot when she was on her way to the corporate place. I can't remember. Miss Chowdhury, right? Yeah. Miss Chowdhury's office, who I was so sure was going to be Indian. And I was very disappointed when she wasn't, by the way. Peter Wilson, right? Yes. I guess this is her married name. I don't know. But I, something about the way that was shot, I wasn't sure it was supposed to be building suspense, but I actually found it comical yeah. the way she was like hunched up against the wall and moving like a creature of some sort. <laughs> Do you think that was supposed to be suspenseful or was it supposed to be comical? Because I had a hard time taking it seriously. I, I didn't think it was that bad, actually. And maybe I read it a different way. I didn't think it was very expertly done. I think a lot of it was probably shot cheaply. He, he shoots very quickly. So I think that a lot of it was like using these, but to get a little technical, he's using these very wide angle lenses and she's, you know, you know, seeing both sides of a corner as she moves by, like you said, like almost as if she's avoiding the camera itself. So it's a little odd, but I just accepted that considering she has the agoraphobia. So I don't think that I read it as comically as you did. Yeah. I felt like it wasn't supposed to be coming off as funny. Oh, probably not. Yeah. It's funny. <laughs> it was very hard for me to take it seriously. But that aside, after that first scene where she's going to see Miss Chowdhury, I do think they did an amazing job of ratcheting up the tension very fast. Once she gets to that office and she realizes that things aren't as supportive as she expected them to be and how everything goes on from there. Yeah, the whole ending I thought was really well done. Uh, although it's only probably like the last 20 minutes or so of the whole entire film, which are very suspenseful, but you, know, you have to sit through the first hour without much suspense. But I still found it fascinating. I like, he loves also, uh, Soderbergh loves process. He enjoyed shooting the scene where she's using the analog mixer to strip the sounds out because he likes to do, like, whether it's a bank heist or whatever, he loves like just people doing stuff proficiently. So he probably spent more time on that part of the film than, uh, than other people would, but that's uh, in his wheelhouse. A couple of things I want to touch go back to. One is that there definitely are people who train Alexa differentiating words and stuff like that and Siri and all these other AI assistants. But I don't know if there's someone who has this specific job, but a very similar job to this. She even calls it out here that she tells her therapist, I believe that she used to be a content moderator for YouTube. And that is something that does correlate to this. There are people who have like literally PTSD from watching YouTube videos all day because every time something gets flagged, a person has to check. If they say this is flagged for nudity, mm -hmm. saying, well, is this like a mother breastfeeding or is this like sexual content? Mm -hmm. And worse than that, it's, it, this literally has happened. People will like live stream committing suicide or something and someone has to review that video. So this is very yeah. traumatizing. So they literally have sections of these companies where they have to provide of mental health services to their employees. And they don't get paid a lot for a horrible job. 
but that is something that, so maybe I could be wrong. There could be even something that even correlates more tightly to what she's describing here, but there are definitely people who are grading the work of the AI in other views. The second thing I want to touch on before we get to the very end is Kravitz in general. What do you think of her as a performer? I like her. I think not that anyone uh, asked for this comparison. I think I like her mom better than her. <laughs> yeah. And I think some of my fondness from her mom is rightly or wrongly being transferred onto her without her necessarily independently earning it. But I do like her. I enjoy her performances and big little lies. But to me, it's a selling point. If she's in something, I'm probably more likely to watch it. I thought the blue hair was an interesting choice here. And ironic when you're trying to not be seen to have the blue hair. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, you don't know how that's going to play out when you make the decision. But, um, <laughs> but I thought, like, my God, put your hood up, which she did do. <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> yeah, especially when you're running away from something. Yeah. <laughs> what about you? What do you think? I have had an issue with her in general in the past in the fact that she's a little too, and maybe this is a generational thing, she's a little too laid back for me, usually. She seems a little too nonchalant in all her performances. And I did like her here. Long story short, but I did laugh at as I was taking notes, thinking that maybe it's because her parents are Lisa Bonet and Lenny Kravitz, who are both two very laid back people. So maybe she had no choice in the matter. Yeah. It's like, yeah. <laughs> but I did like her here because being too casual can sometimes feel like you're putting a wall up, like you're acting too casual. <laughs> which I thought fit the character very well here because she's obviously trying to protect herself while trying to be so tough. But uh, she turns out to be both, right? She does have a wall up, but she turns out to be pretty tough at the end as well. So I thought that she worked, it was good casting for this role. Let me ask you, what was the point of the abscess? Oh, in her tooth. Oh yes, good point. I felt like we yeah. didn't really need that. I felt for her in that I honestly think tooth pain and back pain are the two types the two physical types of pain that can be absolutely unbearable. So I, I get it. I felt for her what she must be going through. I really wish she would go to the dentist, but did we need that? What was the payoff of that? That is very strange that you bring that up. Good point. There is a movie, another 70s paranoid thriller called Marathon Man with Dustin Hoffman, mm -hmm. which you've probably never seen, but you probably know I've what heard. I love about it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Everybody's heard about it because there's a scene where Laurence Olivier is the villain in there who is torturing him by basically messing with his, he has a, you know, a, a cavity or something, and he's basically going in his mouth. And of course it makes everybody <laughs> for a generation afraid to go to the dentist after that movie came out. <laughs> but it really feels, especially because they're playing in this seventies paranoid thriller sandbox, it makes you almost think, oh, that's going to pay off. But you're right. It, they did not have any payoff there unless it's just like a wink at Marathon Man and just assuming audiences will know because there is no plot reason for that. Yeah, uh, I felt like we're laying the groundwork for like the bacteria is going to travel to her brain and she's going to start hallucinating or become <laughs> severely ill or, or something. But Oh, I didn't think it was going to go that far, but it was uh, just because the movie's so short, I didn't think they would have time to develop <laughs> that. But I did think it would pay off somehow. It may, minimally that there would be, I mean, there is, that's why I say that if anything, there was a torture element. There is a scene where he hits her and then she like holds her face and we know that she has this abscess, so it's probably yeah. hurting her. So it's almost like he's about to go that way. 
But mm. once again, it's almost as if they are assuming we've seen Marathon Man and we're anticipating that because that's the only possible payoff there, as opposed to a lot of other things that have a lot of plot payoff. For example, her dad was a contractor. They're doing construction upstairs. Yeah. And of course, we have Chekhov's uh, nail gun <laughs> in yeah. that early scenes, which of course pays off great at the end. I love that yeah. whole ending. It's so great. Yeah, that was really nicely laid out. I thought the thing with someone who also has lived during lockdown with an apartment that was undergoing construction above me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it does feel like torture at times. So I could relate to it and the whole storyline of, of how the two apartments are connected and getting the equipment and all of that, I thought was really nicely put together. Yeah, excellent. I want to circle back to one thing that you said, which I think is right on the nose that you, you something you mentioned earlier, which is I did find it very interesting that it's very easy to make these kind of techno thrillers where they're all listening to what you're doing. And this is for me working in technology. This is actually how this technology works. Think about how many of these Silicon Valley billionaires have been caught, for example, price fixing amongst themselves, what they are willing to pay their technologists with salary caps that they negotiate across themselves. And of course, how do they get caught in their emails? So we like to believe that this technology is watching everybody and they're out to get us. And the reality is the technology itself is completely agnostic. <laughs> It'll get anybody. <laughs> and to that point, this CEO, this audio recording that she hears was caught on one of his devices. And that is the piece of evidence that it leads to his downfall. And then of course that thing itself puts her life in danger, but I thought it was great how she activates, for example, when her mom calls her, yes, says answer on the FaceTime. So right mm -hmm. away, these people are just like, wait a second, her mom is immediately going to be like, who the hell were those guys in her yes. apartment? I'm going exactly. to call the cops. And then of course, those guys immediately, oh shit, the cops are going to be here in a few minutes. So now the clock is ticking for them. And of course she takes that distraction to, she runs upstairs, she grabs a nail gun. And I love that. She like puts the, the safety, she puts the tape over the safety. So the guy just peeks his head up and she's like, boom, <laughs> one, one guy down. That whole ending is great. Like she not only kills all those guys, but then she like goes to the door and gets the flowers. It's a romantic ending with a, you know, a bunch of dead bodies in her apartment. Very funny. Yes. Very well done. And also what I thought was funny was the running gag that I actually just talked about people inadvertently triggering their AI device. <laughs> with her friend, right? Her Eastern European friend or Russian friend, I'm not sure, uh, where he keeps inadvertently triggering it and telling it to shut up. Uh, right. Definitely could relate to that. <laughs> and the last thing we haven't discussed at all, which uh, you did tease it also very early on, which is we have another agoraphobic neighbor who early on we're watching, like, who's that creep? Why is he watching her? And uh, and then it turns out he rescues her instead of being like some kind of, I mean, still what his behavior is still creepy, by the way, but he does rescue her nonetheless. And she's like, why were you watching me all the time? And he's like, I'm an agoraphobe too. Like we're stuck in the house all the time. So he knew that she was another one like him. So I found that interesting that here's a guy who is a, obviously probably has some kind of crush on her as well, but is sympathizing with her condition. So when he sees her roaming around, he's like, something's gotta be up. Why would she be doing that? And then of course, when she shows up with two guys, he's like, oh, something's definitely wrong. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it's good to have us nosy neighbors. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. It can be useful. All right. So that was it. I, 
I enjoyed it. Like I said, all those recommendations I made earlier, I think are better films. Those are like classic films. Like obviously that's why they're being referenced here. You reference great films. You don't reference mediocre films <laughs> normally, but that's why there's references exist. But I do think this is a lot of fun. And I do think, like I mentioned earlier, I think that people will watch this, not necessarily because it's one of the best paranoid thrillers of all times, but I think people will watch it because they'll be like, this is really what it felt like <laughs> to live during COVID. <laughs> That's like really like a little social document of, of the time. But didn't you tell me that you didn't like the last couple of minutes? Oh yeah. The only thing I didn't like in this is the button at the end, which is so goofy. The whole, there she is at the taco stand and she gives him a kiss and now her agoraphobia is cured. Just the button at the end, the rest of it, I thought like the whole wrap up, I thought was great. They could have wrapped things up at the door where she's calling the police while mm -hmm. she's smelling the flowers. That would have been the great ending for me. I love that. But then the whole like happy ending where no, that guy who got stabbed in the gut, he's still alive. And she's like, oh, time to go uh, have breakfast with my boyfriend at the taco stand. I'm like, all right, okay. <laughs> all right. So, well, but, maybe uh, but, okay. killed a few people. The agoraphobia seems quite surmountable. I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. What's a little agoraphobia in comparison to murder? <laughs> that's right. That's right. The button at the end I thought was so dumb. I'm like, oh my God, this is ridiculous. It's like something. It was like, a little cutesy. Yeah. yeah. A little cutesy. And we thought that her hair has changed to pink. So that was. Yes. Another key point. Yeah. Of course, it changed her, her color. The wrap up in the apartment I thought was great. That was all really, really well done. I agree. Uh, and also, it was very helpful, right? That her, the neighbor who had been spying on her was quite clever himself, right? With. Yep getting the the knife under his boot and you know he was really on his toes too maybe when everyone is stuck at home they watch so many movies uh, <laughs> <laughs> they're watching so many of these paranoid thrillers that they yes. like, they've got it all scoped out that's right there are so many especially horror movies where the victims or would-be victims are so dumb in the choices they make and i always like where you see characters that you know obviously people make mistakes they make stupid choices like she theoretically could have avoided getting caught in the first place if she's a little smarter, especially because she works in technology. She knew to turn off her phone, et cetera, because everybody makes certain decisions that are not the smartest. And of course, not everyone's assuming they're inside of a thriller movie, <laughs> right? But I do like when you have like someone is in a circumstance. And for example, everything she does at the end, she's not a superhero. Everything she uses at the end, she uses what she knows. She mm -hmm. knows how the Alexa device works. She knows how to use it properly. Like, so she can answer the phone on the computer, right? So that mm -hmm. her mom will see what's going on inside the apartment. And she knows to escape upstairs. She knows how to use a nail gun, et cetera. So it's like, and, and it's so great. Like she goes straight for the nail gun and she puts this tape on it. So, you know, when she was sitting there, she's like, I'm going to run upstairs and grab that nail gun. She's, she's planning that like five mm -hmm. minutes before she actually does it. Right. So it is uh, well, really well done. So um, I, I like when characters are, smart <laughs> and not stupid. I usually get very angry when people are being stupid in movies. Oh, and I'm gonna make another call out, minor call out here. This is coming to available to watch in a couple more weeks. So maybe Sona, we get, get you catch up on Scream when it becomes available at home and which is on March 2nd, I believe. And uh, and then we get have a conversation about it because that's another thing I like about the Scream movie, the, the new one, where I think the script <laughs> is very strong is that it's not like, I can't believe these idiots are making such stupid decisions. The character does what you would do, mm -hmm. <laughs> and then it still goes really, really bad for them. So. <laughs> there is one really, really stupid decision in there, which I will not spoil for you, but we'll have a conversation about it later. Sounds good.
what are your plans for Super Bowl? We have no plans. I think. Oh my we'll goodness! Just... Does he usually go? He usually usually have like a, a. I guess he has a, a child now, so it's not so easy to do the road trip anymore. Yeah, I know that's a good point. For many many years, they would always do a guys' weekend, the same as Super Bowl weekend. Uh, this year, the guys' weekend was this past one. Ah, uh, okay. Oh, you know why? Because um, because it's Valentine's Day tomorrow. Oh, of and course. I guess people wanted to celebrate Val. I am. We are not really doing anything for Valentine's Day, so I, <laughs> I sound like I'm not familiar with American society. But I guess people wanted to celebrate Valentine's Day today. This, this <laughs> is this is just being married because we really don't have anything planned for Valentine's Day either. That's just just what happens, especially with kids. Just because less and less romantic over time. Good, yeah, that really makes it like this is this cannot really take that much space in my brain because there's too much other stuff going on. <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. <laughs> At least with a small child, I, I guess maybe you get it back when the kids get older. So <laughs> theoretically, uh, then your parents are demented and old. So <laughs> don't say that. <laughs> so yeah, we'll just be here watching. I, you know, I'm looking forward to the the concert that is going to be happening when the football game takes a break so. oh yeah they're quite uh, yeah exactly you have like a, a old school rep so we have yeah. a whole uh, quite, quite a lineup there yeah so that and the commercials i'll be here watching for that <laughs> it should actually be a good game actually so and this would be I, I always think that and i not always think that but i often think that and it's a blowout so maybe i'm wrong but we'll see all right so that app wraps things up for today and uh remember to watch severance everybody and sona and um and uh, it was a good pitch. You made it sound very interesting. I find Ben Stiller's uh, directorial career very interesting. I find him a very interesting character. I think he's one of those comedians that is probably very dark inside, and uh, and it kind of expresses itself in interesting ways in his films, especially the ones he directs. And so I was always curious about this. I was hoping it would be good. And then these raves came in and I'm like, oh, okay, now I'm very interested in seeing how this turns out, especially this blend of straight up comedy and then true terrifying mm -hmm. thriller at the end, thriller slash comedies, which I often feel like they don't land. Like, for example, the after party is really not a thriller at all. <laughs> and yeah. uh, only murders in the building is just straight up comedy. There's very little thriller in there. So I think it is something that has a real blend of both would be very interesting. I'm curious to see if you can land it. And that'll be our next thing to watch. All right. Thanks. Talk to you soon. Talk to you later.